The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed in appearance and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but becoming fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As they were about to part from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he did not know what he was saying. While he was still speaking, a cloud came and cast a shadow over them, and they became frightened when they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my chosen son. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They fell silent and did not at that time tell anyone what they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Imagine you're driving down a country road just outside of Junction City and you see this older gentleman standing out in the field, a white beard hanging down towards his chest, and you see something interesting at, the, at his feet. And at his feet you find, as you drive a little closer, this old man just standing there, kind of staring off into space, is a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old goat, ram, and then also a turtle dove and a pigeon. And he's just standing there just standing there looking off into space. And I think that all of us would understand that if we saw this actually happen, we would wonder about that poor farmer. He's probably lost his mind and gone crazy. But in the ancient days, when if you walked by and saw someone doing this like Abram in our first reading, you would recognize that something vitally important was about to take place. Someone's life was about to change. Because in the ancient culture, this was a common custom. That if two nations were going to form a treaty, if two rulers were coming together to form a covenant, they would often take animals that they would sacrifice, split them in half, separate them, and then both parties would walk through the midst of those separated animals. The whole idea of this is they are saying that if I break this covenant, may I become like these animals in the field. May I be cut in half, left to die in the field. May animals feast upon my flesh, and may I never be buried. This was essentially the most disgraceful way to die in ancient times. To be cut in half, to be left to to be prey to animals, to be their food, and then to not be buried or to perform any burial rites over you. So it was a very, really firm understanding in the ancient mind of the reality of this kind of covenant. So our God set up this opportunity for Abram to form this covenant with God. But the big question is, did Abram walk through those carcasses? The answer is no, he did not. Abram was a smart man. Would you walk through those carcasses knowing what I just told you? That if you fail in your side of the covenant, you will become split in half, left in a field without anyone to bury or to love you. 
I think all of us understand that I know I can't fulfill the covenant. How many times have I sinned? Well, I know I need the sacrament of confession often. I've failed in my side of the covenant, and I'm glad that the punishment is not being cut in half and left in a field. So Abram knew that he did not have a chance to uphold his side of the covenant. But he, so he was not an ignorant man. He knew his own weaknesses. And so he did what he could do. He waited for God to make it clear how this was all going to work out. And so Abram waited there all day until the evening came. I think it's good to point out, too, before we move on in this story of Abram, that at the very beginning, our Lord Jesus Christ promised him descendants as numerous as the stars, right? Did you catch what time of day it was? Everybody assumes it was nighttime and this big, beautiful, starry sky was above Abraham as he walked outside and counted numerous stars. But according to this passage in Scripture, it was daytime. How many stars can you count at noon? One. Abram was promised by God that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky if you can count them. Abram could only count one. That's why it was attributed to him as an act of faith that Abram would actually be the father of many nations because it didn't make any sense. But then as evening continued on, Abram found himself, he fell into that trance as it describes, and he saw a fire pot and a burning torch pass through the midst of those cut up animals. Essentially, God formed both sides of the covenant. He said, I know that you poor, weak, fickle human beings cannot withstand the reality of this covenant, so I'll do both sides. The burning, the, the pot of fire represents the, the fire necessary to offer, offer up the sacrifice. And the burning brand offers up the fuel that it must be offered up for the sacrifice. Essentially, our Lord God said, I'll do both. And you, just simply Abram, you have to believe. Do you see how Christ is the fulfillment of this promise in the first reading? How our Lord Jesus Christ is the one star that Abram saw through which he became the father of all nations on this earth. How our Lord Jesus Christ, anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism, was filled with the fire of divine love. And how he was the lamb slain for us, offering himself up as fuel for the sacrifice. Both the burning pot of oil and as well as the fuel, the burning brand. God has done everything for us. He simply asks us to be faithful. Yet even with this great gift that God offers us, even the fact that he's formed both sides of the covenant, he's the one who remains faithful, there's still many who somehow conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ, as St. Paul said. Their end is destruction, their goal, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. Their minds are occupied with earthly things. In essence, these are the people who boast of their own strength, their own power, their own pleasure, their own money, their own plan. These are the people who say, I don't need a God. I can make my own covenant. I can figure it all out for myself. I'm strong enough. I have a better plan than God himself. These are those who refuse to bend their knee before a conquered Savior. They'd rather have a Savior who conquered the world, not a Savior who was conquered by the world, seemingly. These are those who want to take the Savior down from the cross, because we just want Christ and his love, but we don't want to deal with the suffering and pain of the cross and his crucifixion. These are those who want an earthly kingdom, earthly peace, who seek an earthly utopia. Well, here's the reality, my brothers and sisters. 
No government on earth will ever provide you peace, prosperity, or union between people if that government rejects Christ, who is the only source of any and all of those things. Peter thought he could figure this out. Peter, in the transfiguration, saw this figure of Christ and his glory of his resurrection. And he said, hey, Jesus, I have a great idea. Let's build three tents. Let's set up our kingdom here on earth. It'll be great. All the sick will come to you. You'll cure them all. We'll start up this charity. We'll get money for the poor. It'll be great. We'll set up this utopia on earth. It'll be wonderful. Just stay here. Forget about that Jerusalem stuff. Forget about that cross. We don't need to go through with that crucifixion thing. And what did our Lord Jesus Christ say? Well, through the words of St. Paul, he told us very clearly. We are not citizens of this earth. We are not citizens of America, first and foremost. First and foremost, we are citizens of heaven. And if our citizenship in heaven ever disagrees with our citizenship here on earth in America, we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. You see, if America tells us that marriage is between more than a man and a woman, if America tries to tell us that we can decide our own gender, if America tries to tell us anything that's contrary to our citizenship with Christ in heaven, we must fight for heaven first and foremost. Because we're not citizens of America first. We're Christ's subjects. And my brothers and sisters, we are called by Christ to live in this beautiful kingdom that he set up. Not an earthly paradise, but a heavenly paradise. And so we come here to Lent with our prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And we separate ourselves from this world so that we can show the world that we Catholics live for something different. We don't live for the joys and pleasures of this world. We say no to meet on Fridays during Lent and every Friday of the church year. Because we say that we don't live by the same pleasures, our stomach is not our God. But look at what we can accomplish when we actually unite as Catholics throughout the world. How many restaurants do you know and how many grocery stores do you know have sales of fish during Lent? Because they know that Catholics eat fish during Lent. If we unite in our practices, this is the kind of thing we can do. We can change business practices for people like McDonald's and the rest. Imagine if we could be united in the pro-life movement in such a way. Imagine if we could be united in the things that our God asks us to defend, life from conception to natural death and all the rest. Imagine the change we could actually have on our society. If we lived as citizens of heaven first and foremost, we would be the best American citizens possible. Why do we put ashes on our forehead on Ash Wednesday? It's to let everyone know that we know we are sinners destined for death. That death is not without hope, because our Savior has died for us. He's walked through the carcasses for us. He's borne the punishment so that we can rejoice in the gift. Why do we come every day or perhaps every week and spend hours kneeling before what every other Christian denomination says is just a piece of bread? Perhaps some have told you what they tell me. Stop wasting all your time worshiping this false god and go serve Christ and the poor. Why don't you give more money to these charities out here? Why don't you spend more time with the sick in the hospital? And our response, my brothers and sisters, has to be that if we can't recognize Christ in his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, how will we find him in our neighbor? If we neglect him where we know he is, how will we find him when it's so hard to find him otherwise? We live our lives by different rules, my brothers and sisters. 
Why do we give 10% of our money off the top as a tithe to God and his church? And then anything else that we give beyond that 10% is almsgiving and meritorious? Because we know that money is not our savior. We know that it will not bring us happiness. So we give it back to the one who gave it to us in the first place. And we submit it all to him. So my brothers and sisters, don't try to make this Lenten journey by your own strength. Don't try to walk through those carcasses yourself and form the covenant. Recognize with the same faith as Abraham that we can't do it our own. That the only way to finding true strength, true joy, true happiness, is to voluntarily accept the crosses provided for us by God, which humble us and help us recognize that we are not the end-all, be-all. He is, and he'll help us every moment of the way. So that when that crazy moment comes like Abram in his life and he walks outside and God says in a great divine joke, hey, count all the stars, that's how many descendants you'll have at midday. We can, with Abraham, have faith. That when it seems like nothing makes sense, God has a plan. That when we look at our own lives and we see the suffering and the pain that happens in our families, we see the scandals of the church and throughout government, that when we see everything going wrong around us, we remember that Christ said that he is the Lord of the world, that he is the God of love and the God of power. Can we believe like Abram did, when it didn't make sense, but we believed in a God who made sense? Or will we meet it with the skeptics of our day and age who say that it's impossible, so give up? My brothers and sisters, you are called to faith this day. How will you respond? Our God has a plan for you. Our God loves you personally. Do you believe in that? Or do you meet it with the skepticism of our day and age? My brothers and sisters, my hope is that we, like Abram, can meet all the challenges of our day and age with faith. It might not make sense, but God knows. Do you believe that he does?